Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 151 for the 11th of June, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with my co-podcasting mate, Paul Ducklin. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Chester. Of course, yesterday was Patch Tuesday, and I guess that's always the biggest news we have to talk about on the Chat Chat when there's not some catastrophic hacking event. And I'm proud and happy to say there was no catastrophic hacking event. So let's chat about this week's Patch Tuesday. What, what, what's the scoop, Doc? The very, very quick elevator pitch version is seven bulletins, three remote code execution, two considered critical. Um, but there are some other what you might call lesser bugs, uh, which only rate important and things like denial of service. But those are worth patching as well, um, which I guess is the long way of saying patch early, patch often. There's been a lot of talk about MS-14035, which is a cumulative update for Internet Explorer versions 6 through 11. Um, I'm sad to say that 6 is still out there, but people forget that Windows Server 2003 R2 is not quite as dead as XP, which means there is some IE6 still out there. This is 59 vulnerabilities, so I've seen a lot of hoopla over this. Um, is it as bad as it sounds? I mean, 59 vulns sounds pretty catastrophic. Yes, I agree with you that there's been a lot of hyperbole about that number. I've even seen one press release calling it record-breaking. I'm not sure that that's a record that's important. You know, does a browser that reports and fixes no vulnerabilities, uh, does that make it more secure because nobody's found any problems? The good news is that only two of those 59 were publicly disclosed, i.e. known to be there. So I suppose technically zero days. Only one of those was a remote code execution. That's the infamous CVE 2014-1770. It was disclosed by uh, ZDI, the Zero Day Initiative, because they said, oh, Microsoft hasn't fixed it for six months. So we're telling you that it exists. Fortunately, not enough information was really given out even to tell you how to get to the vulnerability, let alone an exploit. So that's about the worst out of all the 59 so no, I don't think it's catastrophic. And in fact, you could say good on them that there are 57 privately reported or privately discovered vulnerabilities that were all mopped up in one go. One I think was most interesting to me uh, is the next one on my list is uh, Microsoft 14-036, uh, which is some issues with the Microsoft graphics components or GDI+. I think that one sounds bad to me because anytime the graphics renderer comes into play, it usually looks like it's going to affect, you know, one, quite a lot of products, and two, seems like it's easier to create some sort of a malicious document or file or whatever that, that tries to render and causes a bug like that to trigger, right? Yes, because whenever you're rendering something that's not just elementary content, an image file, for example, it's quite likely that you're going to have a code path through GDI+. Plus. And therefore, you can tickle this bug, if you like, not just with dodgy documents, but also with dodgy web pages, which means that if you're a particular, if you're a targeted attacker, you've got two ways in. The good news is that those vulnerabilities are both privately disclosed. So if you patch, you will be ahead of the bad guys, almost certainly. Yeah, and I guess it's important to note that impacts uh, all versions of Windows, uh, some versions of Office and Microsoft Link. Um, other fixes that were released this month include some for Word, some XML stuff, uh, link server vulnerability, uh, RDP tampering, 
as always, as you said, patch early, patch often, just get out there and do it. But are, are any of those in particular rising up uh, to be more important than others? Or should we just uh, identify the potential victims on our network and get those fixes out? Chester, my feeling this month uh, is not just patch early, patch often, but patch early, patch often, and why not patch all? Uh, the bottom line is that because of that GDI plus vulnerability, that affects pretty much every version of Windows. So you will be patching all supported Windows versions, client and server in your organization, and it will require a reboot. So, you know, you're already in for the full network, full reboot. Why not do them all in one go? I couldn't agree more. I guess on the bad news front, um, and we've been unfortunately expecting this for a while, some new malware out there along an old theme, which is ransomware. We've talked about this a lot in the past uh, on the chat chat, uh, but it, it seems to be getting more sophisticated on Android. We've seen in the past uh, Android things kind of screen lock and prevent you from making phone calls, things like that, but they didn't really tamper with user data on the device. Um, there was some news last week that that's not true anymore. That's kind of not a good thing. I guess it's called simple locker. I mean, you kind of want it to be hard. You would think you want it to be hard to lock your phone. You don't want it to be simple necessarily if it's the bad guys doing it. So it's kind of like an Android version of crypto locker, if you wish. Uh, you're accused of a crime. The phone gets locked. A screen pops up. A largish list of image, movie, and document files get scrambled, like JPEG and PDF, for example. The reason I suspect it's called Simple Locker is that it doesn't call home, uh, get a public key, scramble your data, and then offer to sell you the private key. It actually, fortunately, has a hardwired password. So if you are unfortunate enough to become a victim, there is a way out without dealing with the crooks. I guess the bad news is that if the crooks are calling it Simple Locker, and that's the name it gives itself, then it kind of implies that it's an experiment and they're sort of hoping to have difficult locker coming soon. So take it as a bit of a warning. Yeah, I've been saying for years that when people ask for advice about mobile, uh, that you just need to treat it as another computer, right? It's just a really powerful pocket computer, probably more powerful than the computer that was on your desk seven or eight years ago. Um, and this is just, you know, the criminals certainly have embraced that. We've seen the criminals do exploit as a service in the past. The criminals have been using the cloud and peer-to-peer -peer networking for a long time. It's not really surprising to see that anything they're doing on your desktop, they're going to try to do on your phone or your tablet as well. So we need to be prepared for that and treat these phones and tablets the same way we treat our desktops. Uh, make sure that we've got control of them, make sure we can erase them, make sure we can encrypt them. The data is going to end up there and the criminals are going to end up there as well. So you have to assume that criminals are going to try to commingle with your data, whether it's on a server, on a desktop, on a laptop or on your phone. Now, an interesting thing on mobile, though, is some moves that Apple's uh, seems to be moving toward with their new iOS 8 that'll be released later this calendar year um, is, you know, trying to keep a little bit more privacy for iOS users, whether that's iPad, iPhone, etc., when they're on the road, right? So they're changing the Mac address on the device to kind of disguise things that may be trying to track your shopping habits at the mall based on your, your Wi-Fi scanning and stuff. Is this going to be a problem for people? Like, I know a lot of people try to use Wi-Fi MAC addresses as a filter on their home networks to be sure that only devices connect that uh, they've authorized uh, in their Wi-Fi access point. When you're just going out there to get a list of, hey, which access points are available, 
it does mean that it identifies you. So what Apple are going to be doing, it seems, is that when you're doing Wi-Fi probes, they'll make up a MAC address uh, and it'll be different every single time, which means if you walk round and round and round the mall, every time you go past Cole's supermarket, for example, they'll think you're a different person if all you are doing is looking to see whether they have access points. However, when you come to associate with the access point, it seems that Apple will drop you back to your burned into the firmware Mac address so that you do come up as the same every time. So that means it'll all still work as before. Nothing will break because when you're actually connecting intentionally, you will use the one true Mac address. But when you're just window shopping, if you like, you won't be using that same identifier. So it will be hard to track you unless you've used that access point before. Well, yeah, I guess, and that's the, I guess, the important part is that it will discourage casual geolocation tracking of people, which has been rumored a lot in, in shopping centers and that kind of thing. But it won't really stop uh, concerted efforts to do it. And we heard some you know, news the last few weeks here in Canada about uh, our, our equivalent of the NSA cooperating with you know telecoms providers and different things to see who's connecting to Wi-Fi points at uh, airports in Canada and then co- you know correlating that data with also who's connecting to access points provided by some telecoms providers for their customers and using that data to track people and because you're actually connecting you're still trackable right so it it only really protects you from that casual I didn't really connect to you. You shouldn't have any business spying on me. But I guess I'd take that over not having it. Well, you never know. There might be some kind of commercial or anti-competitive backlash in that all the third-party companies who provide these, hey, Chester's been past Cole's supermarket 15 times today because we keep seeing the same mobile phone even though he's not logging in. They won't be able to do that anymore. But of course, Apple will still know where you are and Apple will still know which Wi-Fi access points you've seen. So I'm just wondering whether there'll be any kind of commercial backlash of third-party companies saying, oh, this is not fair. And lastly, our friend Oleg Pliss is in the news again. And, uh, you know, this is the story for folks uh, a couple, I think it's been a couple chat chats ago where we talked about a lot of phones in Australia in particular getting some sort of a lock message in, in iPhones. And there was a lot of speculation as to what was going on there. And uh, there was some, I guess, good news. We're not sure if it's the right crooks or not, but what's the tale? I guess some Russian involvement? Well, it looks as though Oleg and his buddies, uh, whatever their real names are, aren't just in the news, but they're also in court because uh, my understanding is that they've been arrested. As far as we can make out, the guys who were arrested in Russia were busted because they did a similar scam to what happened to lots of Aussies and that we wrote about on Naked Security about a week before in Russia. If you didn't catch the the Aussie story, basically loads and loads of Aussies woke up to iPhones and iPods and iPads that said, device hacked by Oleg, please, that was a message, a pop-up message, a lock message. For unlock device, you need send voucher by $1.50. And then you have to go and buy a money pack or or pay by PayPal, send them some money and they'd give you a code. Now, you could fortunately recover without paying the code, but it's still an alarming thing to wake up to. And it seems that the guys busted in Russia did something similar in Russia the week before. Now, whether they are the same guys who did the Aussie attack or not is still unknown. 
it sort of smells like it should be the same guys, exactly the same MO. But of course, they could have just rented out their hack and iPhone service to another group of crooks. Um, so there may yet be more arrests coming along. We don't really know yet. So the story is, how can we say, kind of half concluded. We know who started it. We may not know quite who finished it. Yeah, and and there's still a lot of uh, uh, ambiguity about the source of the victims, like you know what, where the information came from that led these guys to be able to log in to these people's phones and lock them. Right? I mean, we don't. There's there's so many different options for where we share information, like an uh, you know an email address that you log in to an Apple service for an Apple ID. It's kind of hard to know where that data leaked from. According to information from the bust in Russia. And I said, you know, we know who started it. Well, we know who is strongly suspected of having started it to the point that they've been arrested. Apparently, those guys, at least in the Russian scam, were using phishing techniques, for example, in order to get people to a fake website, log into a fake Apple site and give away their credentials. It is a warning. Don't use the same password on more than one site. It is a warning. Watch those URLs. And it is a warning. Consider using two-factor authentication whenever you can. It makes stolen passwords much less dangerous. Sadly, last time I looked, Apple only support 2FA in 11 countries. They probably could do with ramping that up a bit. You know what, Duck? When we were discussing the Patch Tuesday fixes from Microsoft, we didn't mention the Adobe updates. There were also fixes released today for Flash Player. There were six CVEs rated critical by Adobe. So you do need to get Flash Player updated as well, not just Windows, as we've seen Adobe synchronize with Microsoft's Patch Tuesday for some time now. People should be updating to Flash Player 14.0.0.125 on Windows and Mac and 11.2.202.378 for Linux. Um, those can be critical as well because they're often utilized in drive-by attacks. And, uh, you know, Flash Player is one of those things that seems to be a darling for the criminals. Absolutely. And if your browser, as most of them do, supports uh, some form of click to play for Flash, which is where a Flash window comes up as a blank rectangle and you have to choose to enable it each and every time, that can reduce your risk because it avoids Flash being foisted on you when you did not expect it. I've been using click to play for ages and I must say the inconvenience is negligible. I agree. That concludes Sophie Security Chat Chat 151. As always, for more detail on these stories and the latest stories, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. For all of our podcasts, you can get that at soundcloud.com slash security, as well as RSS and on iTunes and a lot of other podcatching services. And until next time, stay secure.